We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Welcome, Hornets fans. It's draft night. I'm Richie. I'm joined by Spencer and Brian today here as we are approaching the start of the draft. I also got a guest joining us today, Dylan Jackson, who's very involved uh, with Hornets community. Dylan, how's it going? Doing good. It's draft day. Been waiting a while for this. Uh, Big decision ahead. Glad to be here. Yes, very good. Uh, I want to thank all the viewers and the listeners that are joining us right now. We've got YouTube going on, Facebook and and Twitch, and then also on Twitter spaces as well. If you guys are participating in the chat on YouTube, we will have a trivia for six months free of BuzzBeat Plus, which we will get the trivia out here soon. Also, be sure to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, the most recent one that we received was a couple days ago where it says, I've watched the NBA and the Hornets for years, but love how this pod breaks down the tape and builds my knowledge of the game. So we appreciate hearing and listening to those things as they come through. All right, so here's the deal. There's been a lot of uh, rumors leading up to this number two overall pick. Number one overall pick is, is set in stone. We've got it down to Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. The draft odds have been going back and forth. Let me first put this out here because I feel like there are some opinions here in this uh, room that are different. And I'm going to start with you, Dylan, in terms of if you were to tier these players, think of it like a staircase. Like how, how many steps are between Scoot and Brandon or are, are they on the same level to you? Yeah, I, I have them on the same level. Like if, if we're talking like if I had to quantify it, I would put like, you know, women at like 100 and then kind of compare everything off of that. I would probably put Scoot around like a 95 and Miller 94. I think I think they're very very close as prospects. That might be a, a little bit of an unpopular opinion among like you know the Hornets community and whatnot. But again, I I don't really think you can do much wrong with a, a six nine forward who has you know the shot creation that Brandon Miller does. I'm higher on his handles, pick and roll ability. Um, I, I think that they're very very close prospects. And Brian, I'll pass it to you and Spencer as well. But I feel like I tend to lean here with Dylan in terms of the gap between these two. You guys have been very high on Scoot, which he's also my preferred pick at number two. I just don't think it's going to go that way. But I've also 
been trying to sell myself on Brandon Miller as the pick to Dylan's point, having a six, nine, four that can do a lot of different things on the offensive side. Uh, yes, he's still got to get a little bit stronger on the uh, offensive end and defensive end. You know, the consist inconsistencies finishing at the basket have been an issue, but I would say, you know, like like Dylan, like maybe just a couple steps below. I, I don't feel like the gap is that big, uh, but I do feel that Scoot has a higher ceiling than Brandon Miller. I, I do wonder how much of the fit and the need is kind of playing into this decision. Yeah, I mean, I have I I like Brandon Miller a lot as a prospect um, and would slap a top, you know, top four, top five grade on him. Um, I've still been pretty consistent lock, liking uh, Amen Thompson uh, slightly above him. Like I would probably put those two guys on the same tier along with probably some other guys like Asar Thompson, uh, Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker. But I, I sort of have Wembenyama on his own tier, Scoot on his own tier. Um, you know, I I have watched a lot of Brendan Miller games, probably, I don't know, 10, 12 full games of his from his, his, his one year at Alabama. Um, came away pretty impressed, but but never like quite overly moved. I've looked at all the numbers. I've rewatched games. Um, to me, the handle and the passing have never popped quite as much as I think those that are like uh, mo- more bullish on Miller than I am. Um, I think he's going to be a good player in the NBA for a long time. But I think a guy like Scoot is a franchise-altering player, an advantage creator, a guy that you can build offenses around. Um, as much as I like Miller, I see him as a you know best-case scenario, or maybe not best-case scenario, but w- one of his better outcomes is movement shooter, gravity bender, that type of guy, secondary creator, all like very in, in in like a solid perimeter defender, all of which are like great to have on your roster, all of which are invaluable, all of which are important, all of which the Hornets need, but um, not as pivotal as, as finding someone that you can really build and center an offense around and scoot. And you only have but so many opportunities, especially if you're the Hornets, to add someone like this. Um, Scoot is is younger than Brandon Miller by about 18 months too, uh, which is I think something that you have to have to mention every time you have this these conversations. Um, it's part of the development curve. And I've seen a lot of Scoot Henderson over the last two years, and I have been moved watching him play a special athlete at the guard position, a special competitor, and someone who does pretty special things with the basketball in his hands. And Richie, you said the word that everything's it's been thrown around a lot, whether it's been by people in the front office, you know, backdooring to media people, or it's been at a press conference with Mitch Kupchak. Like fit is thrown around all the time. And it's not like that doesn't have some seat at the table or matter some. I yeah. I suppose I tend to think what matters more than just like uh sort of like positional fit is like culture fit. Uh, is scheme fit as opposed to, oh, are there like wings or not on the roster? Uh, okay, there aren't a lot of good wings. We'll go Brandon Miller. That slots well next to LaMelo Ball. Um, you're still going to have the rim pressure concerns with those two guys, even if Miller, you know, really does become like a big time shooter at the, at the, in like pull up and pick and roll operator at the next level. Um, so they'll still be like looking for pieces. Uh, no matter what, to sort of like round out their perimeter creation with those guys going forward. 
So I think the fit can slice two different ways. And I, and I, I don't want to totally write it off, but I, I do think it's important for them to go best player available, best pro who they think the best prospect available is. And if that is, uh, if that is Brandon Miller, I would disagree with their evaluation, but I could almost live with it. I just would be curious to know like what exactly is the thing that would have someone to think that Miller is like superior to Henderson in terms of like talent evaluation. That's all. Yeah, they're going to play it off as if it's not fit because Mitch has said for the longest time that they're not in a position to draft for fit and they need best player available. So they're going to spin it that way, Brian. Uh, But one thing that you did mention, and Spencer and I were talking about this before you guys got in here, in terms of the culture fit, I feel like one thing that does not get discussed enough with Brandon Miller is the controversy that he had in delivering a gun Again, I don't know all the details to this story, but I don't know why that's not being brought up a little bit more. Um, I know he's a, a young kid and everything like that, and he wasn't the one that actually did the shooting. But, uh, you know, being in the wrong place at the wrong time and and surrounding yourself with people that would do that is probably or is definitely not a good decision. Well, and aside from that, Richie, uh, <clears throat> and one of the main points I wanted to make is that Scoot Henderson is, by all accounts, he raises the floor of your entire building, roster, team, organization as soon as he walks in the door. I mean, that's the intel from everyone. <laughs> I mean, everyone's aligned on that. And Brian laid out the case of pretty much exactly why I think Scoot is a better prospect um, than Brandon Miller. I, I, I mean, look, the whole legal thing behind him, I don't love. He has small hands. I don't love that. His wingspan is quite questionable. Don't love that either. He just had mono and lost like 25 pounds. Don't love that. Now, a lot of these things are in the moment and not, they don't traverse through time, right? I get that. But there just seems to be a lot surrounding this guy that would, in, would personally me, scare me away on top of the fact that if I didn't know any of those things, if I was dropped on the earth and knew nothing, and you show me Scoot Henderson and you show me Brandon Miller and you show me show me their tape, which I have watched much of, both of them, I would I would leave thinking if they're both perfect people, I still think Scoot Henderson's the better prospect, far and beyond, um, you know, far and away. So I, I don't I, I disagree if they draft Brandon Miller. I, I don't hate him as a prospect. I think he can be a lethal shooter. I do think he has some real on-ball chops. I think his, I think his playmaking ability is a, is a bit overrated, a bit overhyped. Um, and I've said this to BG, and maybe I've said it on the pod in the past, but I think a lot of his playmaking at Alabama came out of the system that he played in with great athletes, with high IQ passers, with really good scores, and most importantly, with a lot of pace. That team played with a lot of pace. And I think the Hornets want to do that too. Don't get me wrong. But the SEC is not the NBA. And I, I just I think we're gonna look back in a few years and and we're gonna say Brandon Miller is uh I don't even think he's ever gonna be an all-star, personally. Hmm. That's just me. Yeah. Dylan, try to try to sell Spencer and Brian a little bit more on Brandon Miller. And and let me ask you a question real quick. Do you think that uh Brandon will have the capability of playing with the ball in his hands and being something other than just a spacer on the floor. 
Yeah, I'm 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 a little I'm a little bit higher on his handle. I think that you know some of the like live dribble passing stuff. I'm I'm very high on. I think he managed to pick and roll very well. I think his ability to get to the rim is obviously the biggest weakness, right? Like that's something that he's going to have to improve if he wants to be like an all-star type of player. Like he shot what, like sub 40% at the rim in the half court. Obviously he got better over the course of the season, but that's going to be something that he's going to have to improve and, and continue to work on. But I, I mean, I, I am a fan of just his overall offensive game. If you look back to his high school stuff, like his biggest strength was his mid range game. I think He's extremely crafty and creative with how he gets to the rim. I mean, he can finish with both hands. He could drive with both hands. Um, I'm, I'm just overall, I think the skill level is extremely high. And to be able to find that in a 6'9 wing is incredibly rare. Yeah, those are all good points. And like, I think the sort of like multi live ball, multi-hand playmaking translates to his passing too. Like some of the best passes he had this past season at Alabama out of the out of ball screens or out of like pin downs or dribble handoffs was left-handed too. Like he is he is skilled. I just think he needs space and time to set it up. And when he has those two things, it looks pretty good actually. Like those are the like his sort of like most skillful pull-up shooting moments are like when he has time to set things up. I think it's when he gets pressured. You speed him up and the handle isn't enough to sort of like it's not functional enough to sort of like constantly beat guys and that's also like when he gets crowded like that that's what i think when his passing if you if he's a if he's a you know a b plus passer at six foot nine i feel like when he gets crowded like he get he becomes smaller and like certain reads get closed off and that's probably true of like everyone every ball handler like you're seeing pressure like you know it gets harder to, to make passes like everyone's going to make mistakes or whatever but but i do think like pretty consistently that's where he tends to fall a little short and he was just very as poor as his half court finishing was this past season it got better he's still very reliant on his length and his size for those finishes so um on the next level i think he would need to lean into the craft and his craft a little bit more and get a little bit more stronger uh, if he is going to have those that type of like jump finishing in uh, on the next level, if not, he's going to be you know very jump shot dependent, um, which could still he could still be a, a good player uh, and like a you know plus offensive player and, and a guy that you you know you run pick and rolls for you run some of your movement sets through you know you run some of the offense through him you get him he's a twenty whatever percent usage guy like I, I think that scenario exists even with him being like a like mediocre rim finisher. I just think a guy like Scoot, like his ability to touch the paint pretty much whenever he wants to, plus the mid-range shooting, plus the passing, is just I just think it's undeniable. Um and it's it's something that Miller can't can't recreate. Um uh, well, the side. only thing that's missing from his game is a reliable jump shot. And he's 19 and change, whatever Scoot Henderson is. I think there's a lot of things from Brandon Miller's game that that I could question. And the only thing, for, the only thing from Scoots that I can really question is the jump shot. And I, I just I'm willing to bet in five years when he's still only 24 years old that he's going to be a reliable jump shooter in the NBA. And so it, from that standpoint, it's almost it's almost like what are we doing? Yeah, I, I think there's nothing, Richie. You said it on the last pod. There's like nothing major with this shot that needs to get like overhauled. 
And I think there are plenty of positive indicators, including the mid-range shooting that makes you think like given some time, yeah, he's going to become like a pretty good uh, three-point shooter. And he also does like winning player stuff off of the ball already too. Um, stampede cuts, moving without the ball, hitting the offensive glass. Great and, cutter, BG. And, that jumped out. Like his watching his film, I was like, oh my God, when it never expected a yeah. 6 2, 6 3 guard to be this good of a cutter. I thought it really popped two seasons ago with Ignite when he was getting to play like off of Daniels, Dyson Daniels, and Jaden Hardy, uh, especially, but you, it still pops this season too. There was one sort of like five out. Uh, backdoor cut reverse layup finish he had against Met 92 during the first Vegas game. Um, yeah, he can really play without the basketball, and it just doesn't take a. It doesn't take a. It shouldn't take a genius to think of all the different ways that you could pair he and Lamelo together as uh, as you know, like dual ball handlers in the backcourt. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, the Spurs just drafted Wimbenyama. No surprise there. Uh, we were talking about this on the lottery pod, how we moved up to number two. It just felt like it was it was obviously great that they moved up two spots, but a little bit of a disappointment that they couldn't land that number one overall pick. And it, and it feels like the Hornets being the number two overall pick with Victor being a shoe-in for number one, it almost feels like the number one overall pick because of the indecision and people are trying to predict what's happening uh, because this was a a no-brainer here. Uh, but I do have a trivia for the people that are here live with us on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, and uh, I will give out 
Yeah. So, yeah. Just keep, keep going. Keep okay. going. I'll give out six months free uh, of BuzzBeat Plus. But the question is this speaking of Alabama, which player, uh, which Alabama Crimson Tide player was drafted the highest in NBA history? And uh, I'll, I'll give you a clue. It was uh, in the mid 90s. So I'll, I'll put that up on the screen for a little bit longer. But go ahead, Brian. Are you tipping a pick here? Uh, yeah. According to Shams Trinia, uh, the Hornets will draft Brandon Miller with the number two pick in the 2023 NBA draft. <laughs> you guys are so dejected, so dejected. Oh man! Now, Callie, I, I'm I'm trying. I'm, like I said, I've been trying to sell myself on the pick today. I'm not probably where Dylan is, but I'm getting closer to that. Just knowing that you can have the two way versatility of a six nine forward. Uh, the shooting and the spacing and the scoring. And the one thing that he did not show in Alabama, but he did show in high school, which I'm interested to see, is the consistency in the mid-range. And, you know, Brian, you talk about not getting all the way to the rim and and being knocked off his path and, and being able to get stronger. Maybe he can kind of return and revert to his ways from high school and start knocking down shots from the mid-range. And that's one way that he can kind of counteract teams running him off the line. But uh, that's just one thing that I'm trying to sell myself on, the, the two-way potential of the 6-9 forward for Brandon Miller. Uh, but you guys seem a little bit dejected right now. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and play some, some highlights from, from Brandon Miller to try to raise your spirits. I'll also I'll, I'll add here <clears throat> that I think Brandon Miller is the, the type of guy where, you know, when his shot isn't necessarily falling, one thing that I always tended to notice is he was trying to affect the game, whether it was with his playmaking, whether it was with, you know, the, the defensive things. Or, or rebounding and all of like the little sort of things he would always sort of put an extra emphasis on it when he was shooting you know like four for 14 or two for 10 or whatever it was that's kind of kind of one of the my big takeaways is he's always trying to affect you know winning basketball and I think that's that's sort of rare in like a you know a college prospect on like the you know best team in basketball, best player on that team. I think he's he's somebody who's going to be able to affect you know winning for the Hornets, whether you know how little or great his role is that rookie year. All good points. Um, he was a good defensive rebounder. He competed in that. Um, you know, moves without the ball offensively. I think that's going to be part of his role. I don't think the role. Um, I don't think his role in the NBA can be just like, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's ever going to be this guy runs, you know, two dozen pick and rolls per game. Um, Mm -mm. Like, like I think Scoot Henderson was going to be one of those types of players. Um, I would just say um, the front office, they better be right about this. Um, They better be right. Because uh, if not, this is, I mean, I think this is a pretty severe misevaluation on their part. Um, or it's a decision they made for what I think are um, miscalculated reasons amidst uh, an ownership and regime change. Spencer thinks this is an MJ pick. Well, no, I, yeah, there are, there are so many layers to get into here. And let me start by saying, and I want to get back to what BG was just touching on. You know, I think the, <laughs> I think that why we got a lot of conflicting reports today, I think part of it was that new ownership was trying to influence their opinion on this pick, but it was clear from reporting 
last week, I think it was last week, that MJ would have control of this selection um, b- right. before the transition was officially made. So I, I think that's why you saw some of that. And then if you want to get real conspiracy deep, you can say Vegas was paying some people to say some stuff so they could get action on both sides. <laughs> so that's kind of how betting works. Um, you know, I, I back to what BG was saying. I'm a, like Cupcheck, and maybe he doesn't care. Cupcheck's not a, a, a young spring chicken anymore, but um, hopefully the people that work for him care. The writing's probably on the wall. The guy's not keeping his job if this doesn't work out, which I think is kind of sort of what BG was getting at. Mm-hmm. So I expected uh, a very careful evaluation, if not a big swing, to draft Scoot and then maybe trade him. And then and then maybe bring in his eye. Maybe do something crazy to try to save your job and your colleagues' jobs. Um, this is just what happens when new ownership comes in the door. So for this to be the pick, um, from just that standpoint, it, it is certainly disappointing. And you can never downplay, and I'm not I, I don't have a lot of energy left to give to it. Um I'm not going to go into the MJ thing, but we've heard enough now to where it does feel like this is an MJ pick. And this is, you know, when you have that kind of competitive, you're that competitive when you got that much pride, when you're every, when you got that kind of brain, everything that that guy is, it's a blessing and a curse. And I said this to you and BG and Dylan before we got on, I think we've already seen the blessing. Maybe he's the best ever. I think we're living the curse. And to me, I don't need any more evidence. The guy's an awful owner. He's been an awful owner for a long time. He was gifted this franchise, and he's leaving this franchise, in my opinion. Time will tell. This, is, this might be wrong. But the last, the last decision he made for this franchise, I'm pretty certain, is going to be the wrong decision. And that is just icing on the mother effing cake. You, you don't think he's going to stick around uh, for pick 41 tonight? You, you don't think he's going to be in the war room for the next uh, the next three hours? You don't think he'll he'll hang around so he can, you know he what? can help them land on, uh, uh, you know, uh, Coleman Hawkins or whatever in the early, early to mid-second round? What's you the most you think popular around nightclub in Charlotte right now? I'll buy him a suite myself to go away. Well, I'll well, buy him a suite with his buddies. Just to go away, get get away from the decision making. I'm I'm over it. I'm tired of it. I know I'm. You know uh, you know where they're you know where they're partying more though is uh, Portland's war room. They're doing backflips right now. They just this guy just fell to the Scoot Henderson fell to them like it's 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 a joke. Um, and but look, we all know, we all know that it's hard to build a sustainably good winning team in a small market. Now the Hornets have made it far more difficult for themselves by chasing bad money and chasing bad deals for years now. It's hard. It's it's not easy to do. And the draft is also hard. It's inexact. It's impossible to predict with any certainties. There are no guarantees. And unfortunately, that's like that's the main method of building when you're in a franchise like Charlotte's position. But I will just come back to this like the everyone who was a part of the decision making apparatus that wanted Miller um, and ultimately pushed for this to become the deal, they just they better be right. Um, because if they aren't, I, I think this is something 
if Scoot is the prospect that I think he's going to become that I don't think anyone should ever live down. Um, and I'll certainly be pulling. I pull for all these guys to do well, but I'll be pulling um, wherever if Scoot Anderson is in Portland for the next 20 years, or if he gets shipped in a, in a trade to New Orleans tonight, wherever he is, I, I will be hoping I'll be pulling for that guy pretty hard. Um, and I, and yeah. I'll be pulling for him pretty hard too, when he gets matched up with the Hornets, because I, if this goes wrong, I, I want it to hurt. I, I want it. I want it to hurt everyone who was a part of of the call here. Hey, not to uh, yeah, just to switch gears real quick because you know you don't get to pick your family. Your family is your family. So I will be a Brandon Miller fan now. I will be pulling for this guy to be successful. I I uh, I echo what BG just said, but I I just want to say you know the, the first first day on the job. Probably first month on the job with Brandon Miller, he's he's got to get stronger. Yeah, like guy's got a lot of skill. It, I, again, I said it earlier. I don't think I, I I would be willing to guess. There's a chance he's never going to be an All Star. I don't see it. But the first thing that the Hornets have got to do is they've got to invest in his strength and his conditioning. Um, and a lot of that was out of his hands. You know, getting mono. Um, yeah. You know, after the season, but. He cannot come into this this next season, which is sooner than we think, at the weight and at the physique that he has right now. That is that is one A priority. I want to. I'm going to pose a question to to Dylan real quickly, uh, since he, he is kind enough to to join us here, and then I, I think maybe we could all sort of bounce off of it a little bit here. But you're one. Not and, and I care less. Sort of about like I care less about starter versus come off the bench etc uh whether he closes games or not but what do you see sort of like what do you think is development wise if you're thinking development with miller what do you think his usage pathway looks like next season for charlotte in terms of like role offensive role ways charlotte can involve him um both to like get production out of but sort of in ways that you would hope sort of like long-term are part of his, um, you know, his, his offensive repertoire. Yeah. I think as a rookie, I think the ideal scenario is he almost has like a Jason Tatum rookie Celtics type of role where, you know, you're using him, you know, in a catch and shoot, you're using him off of screens. You're, you're running pin down action for him. You're doing a lot of different things for him off the ball. And you're also helping him, you know, like, you know, helping him with his handle, helping him with sort of the more on-ball stuff, working with him in that regard while he gets better. But I think a lot of his role, you know, initially as a rookie is going to be as, as like a catch-and-shoot, purely off-ball type of player, especially if you do return, like Terry Rozier, if you do re-sign Miles Bridges. I'm not sure how many ball-handling possessions he's going to have offensively. And then you also hope that, you know, with added weight, he's able to contribute, um, you know, off-ball and on-ball defensively. So... I think you're you're ideally getting like a high level, you know, three and D type of player as a rookie. I'm not sure, you know, how how ready he'll be, especially with, you know, the weight thing. He had mono. How much weight is he going to get back? I'm not sure if he'll even play well in the summer league because he is so thin right now. So I think ideally you you do get that, you know, high level three and D type of forward uh, wing player initially. Yeah, I think the off-ball stuff is exactly right. And, you know, putting the ball in his hands is probably not something that you want to do early on. 
that was something that you could probably bank on with Scoot Henderson. And obviously, Scoot plays a different position altogether, so you would expect a point guard to have the ball in his hands. But some of the off-ball stuff that you're talking about, I can definitely see. I could also see him being someone uh, that would thrive in transition as well. And I know that the Hornets love to push pace. And there's a comment here about where is he in the rotation if Miles and PJ come back. I, I view Brandon more of a, a two-slash-three more than a three slash four because of his like his strength and his it's just his frame overall. I know that he is six nine. And we had this conversation too about Rozier, like how much longer, you know, is he on this team? Is there a possibility that he gets traded this offseason? Uh the Hornets do have plenty of ticks. Is there a chance he gets traded tonight? Tonight, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking, but who knows? Who knows? I, I think that would be one way to free up minutes for Brandon Miller because as of now, I know Brian said, don't talk about the, the rotational stuff, but as of now, you know, he's going to be competing and fighting for a starting job. And uh, we know with Clifford, he definitely makes rookies earn those minutes. I would say to touch on your point there, Richie, you know, Miller, Miles, PJ, assuming PJ and Miles come back, that is an interesting two to four. It yeah. is like there, there is some interchangeability there that intrigues me a lot. And we'll see. I mean, you know, we don't know uh, what PJ is going to get offered in the open market and like good luck gauging anything about Miles Bridges market. But that that is very interesting to think about the lineup machinations that you can kind of you, you can stir up with those three. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as as he progresses, like year two, maybe he's like hunting mismatches. Maybe he's doing a little bit more on ball. But as a rookie, I'm just not sure how effective he's going to be in that role. And I will say that, you know, now that you, I, I do view him as like a big guard, like a two. Yeah. I, I think that that's definitely going to be his best role, especially with some of like the live dribble stuff I was talking about with some of the, the pick and roll ability um, from a ball handler standpoint that I was talking about earlier. I think that you know, maybe trading Rozier. Um, I'm not sure how much value you would get tonight, but I, I think that it's probably the, the best decision if you want Brandon Miller to have like a, a heavy role this upcoming season. BG, by the way, uh, Sports Channel 8's tweet <laughs> three minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, there's been a few. Uh, yeah, Go check I, that out if you haven't. Drafting yeah, that, Alabama athletes with lethal arms. Oh, boy. That, that, one, that was, not my, uh, was not my tweet. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know if that was your art or not. Yeah. No, that was, that was not. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, I mean, I think ultimately for, for Miller, um, and, again, this is tough, like, I – the Hornets had a chance to to get Scoot through no through no credit of their own, no like no like executive level deal craft or anything like that. Just like literally, they lucked up the night of the draft. Um, they had one thing. There's only one thing I think they they had to do tonight, and um, they whiffed. But if you are going to uh, think more about Miller's role. Um, again, I think having a, a guy with that size, secondary creation, secondary passing, the movement shooting, I think you need to lean into that like as much as possible. Um, ghost screens, floppy action, pin down, different kinds of like five out looks you can get to him. I'd sort of be intrigued. Like if you do want to tap into the pick and roll stuff. Um, I think like when they go to the five out delay action, have him in the corner, come have him come off a pin down into the dribble handoff. Like, I think that stuff's going to be important. 
uh, especially if he's playing like the two. Yeah, like it's just it's going to be another caliber of uh, of of defender for this guy to have to to have to go up up against. This is not him going against SEC small forwards and power forwards. This is going to be you know NBA perimeter stoppers. Um, so it is it, the handle, the passing, the things that um, the shot making, the things that he was were certainly like the biggest part of his sell as a prospect. They they'll be tested. And but I think as far as role goes, I think you need to like lean into movement shooting as much as possible. And if you are going to put him in the pick and roll, I think you have to be like deliberate with it. I don't think it can be or I just don't think it can be like, oh, he's going to you know be like they did with book night or they try to like make him like a microwave guy with the second unit. Like, I don't think that's the um, I, I don't think that is uh the, the right call. Also, someone is in the comments saying Scoot's finishing isn't uh, all that good for a guy with that level of athleticism. And I, I disagree uh, pretty strongly. So um, <laughs> from an evaluation standpoint, so I just, yeah. One more point I wanted to make Richie on the, uh, <clears throat> on the Scoot thing, you know, I thought, and I know I said this on some podcasts in the last few months, I thought that he was, you know, LaMelo has that celebrity star power outside of the basketball star power. And I'm not super confident LaMelo's, we're not going to sign and trade him, you know, wh- when his next contract comes up. I mean, seriously, I'm not. Like, I, I don't, if you, like, do, do I think LaMelo wants to be in Charlotte for his next contract? No, probably not. And I thought just well, then they should have definitely drafted Scoot Henderson. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Whoops. Exactly. Like, like, like he was the perfect bridge. Let them play together, and if they love playing with each other, then that increases your chances, you know, of of retaining Lamella Ball. And, and, and look, maybe Brandon Miller does that. I, I think there's a way less probability that Brandon Miller does that over Scoot Henderson. But he Scoot was the perfect bridge to the next era of Charlotte basketball when Lamella Ball goes to wherever Los Angeles or you know. So, anyways, I that's the other point I wanted to make. But yeah, yeah. okay, we got two speaker requests here in Twitter Spaces, and I'm going to open it up to to Cam first. I know Lee's requested as well, but Cam, go ahead. Hey guys, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. I feel very much like uh, Brian Spencer. I, I feel pretty dejected. I thought Charlotte really needed a, a draft pick tonight that they could like really get behind and who would be, uh, you know, be, beyond just the the basketball talent, which I, I agree with Brian and, and Spencer and, and like Sam Pacini. I thought, I thought that Scoot was by far the best, the best prospect. And I just, it just, and from what, from what I've, seen like good franchises don't rely on one game against South Carolina where the guy scores 41 points against a bad team to <laughs> offset like oh <laughs> no offense Dylan no offense <laughs> oh I, I know they're bad I know they're bad <laughs> again whereas like we have years of of like coming up where Scoot like people said last year Scoot would have been the number one pick over Paulo this year you know going into the year like oh this is you know if it weren't for Wimby Scoot would be you know, easy, the number one pick. And, you know, what do you want him to do? Like he, would we have been in a better scenario? Would he have been better off to be like, shut it down 
after, you know, he broke his face instead of playing with a broken face the second half of the G League season. It just, I, I, I feel like this is a huge miss just on talent alone. And then, you know, I, I know, Richie, you brought it up, but like, I feel like Brandon Miller, he reminds me a lot of Harrison Barnes. Maybe not exactly in talent level, but in, certainly in like somewhat of status. You know, Harrison Barnes is probably a higher rated recruit, but just, you know, big kind of a shooter, like has theoretical upside as like a ball handler, secondary playmaker. But like Harrison Barnes hadn't sniffed an all-star game. He, you know, I, that's, I feel similar to Spencer. I feel like it would be a miracle if he made an all-star game, but except instead of just Harrison Barnes, we get Harrison Barnes, who's an accessory to whatever. Uh, and then the last point on that, like, as you know, I've, I think I've told you guys before on this, like, I've, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I expect the minute he inks his deal that there's going to be a civil suit against him from that victim's family, in which case, you know, I'll do what they need to do. But like, that's just another crazy legal scenario that Charlotte gets thrown in the middle of after we re-sign Miles Bridges when he does what he did. Uh, it's just kind of, it's kind of a mess. And like to Brian's point about like, you bet you, you better have gotten this right. There is no immediate way to correct this. Like the 24 and 25 draft classes are terrible. Like the 2025 recruiting class is awesome. Like with the boozers and flag and like maybe the Cooper flag, but like, there's no, there's no way to fix this. There's no way to get another star. If you're like bad and mellow wants to trade out or wants to be traded and you like want to get some assets for, you know, teams are going to be willing to give up those picks because they're not going to be any good. Like Tyrese Proctor, is one of my favorite players in the country. And like, he's probably projected to go like maybe top 10 next year. He's a, he's a really solid NBA player. He's not a star. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't get it. So, uh, so, so let's go back. I, I got a question for you. No, this is good. We got a lawyer on the call. Expand on, expand on a little bit without, you know, going 10 minutes or anything. Why once he inks his contract, why the legal situation comes right back to the surface. So this would just be like a lawsuit from the victims. What I what I think would happen, uh, and what I think is going to happen, is that once the criminal matter is resolved and like all the, you know, all the plea deals are entered and sentencing is done, you know, when the contract when he signs his contract, he has he then becomes a deep pocket defendant. Um, it becomes much more, you know just generally like, you know, if you have, if you're a wealthier person who gets sued with any kind of reasonable basis that could survive, like, you know, the initial round of like where lawyers like brief and argue legal arguments, then it gets really expensive. So, and it, and it becomes like really hard to keep things private without settling it. So like you have mm-hmm. discovery stuff, it's just, there's a real risk that, and I, I that even if a lawsuit's filed, I expect it you know, it would be, it would eventually be settled, but it's how soon does that happen? But regardless, you're going to have a complaint that says Brandon Miller in it over and over and over again for why he was some kind of like negligent in, in his actions that night or somehow civilly culpable, not criminally, not like jail time. This right. is all just, just money. money, but it's still out there and it's going to be on sports center. And that's the only reason that the Hornets are it, ever in the public sphere is because when their players do terrible things, or when they do something dumb, like draft Brandon Miller at number. Sorry, not dumb, but that's that's where I am on that. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, I think that was good context there. And now we're moving on and hoping Brandon Miller does fine. But like, did y'all see, but before I hang up, did y'all see Scoot's face when they panned to him when they drafted Scoot Miller? That was terrifying. He's yeah. going to bust our ass for the next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't put it Those past rocks them. Those shiny. Yeah. Yeah. Thank I, you guys. Yeah. Uh, take it easy. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. See you, man. Thank you. Now, I was going to say that uh, I guess some Hornets draft parties are not going well. A couple of boos, yeah. um, even at the <laughs> arena, I think, is, is that's what's happening as well. Uh, but we, we have a speaker Sick. request from Heather. Heather, do you want to come on and, and give us your thoughts? Hi, guys. Hey. Thank you for having me. So I don't normally do Hornet spaces. I'm a Hornet fan. I'm a Miami Heat fan. I do a lot of spaces oh. with the Miami Heat. I have not yet found my people with the Hornets, so I'm hoping that that's going to change. I do an all-female uh, space with um, other ladies in the Miami Heat, so shout out Hornets lady, ladies. If you want to do something, you know, I'm here. Um, this is an unserious franchise. Like, I take up for us so much. I really, really do. Like, I'm used to losing. It's fine. I'm a Panthers fan. I live in North Carolina, right? So, right. like, country girl, obviously, the voice gives it away. Um, I'm just, there are no words to have every aspect of the fan base from casuals two people who really know ball. Um, everybody is shitting on this decision. <laughs> and I'm just over here like, we can't have nice things. We just literally cannot have nice things. Um, yeah, I don't want to take up too much time because you will not find me speechless often. Um, but this, like, we have Miles Bridges for whatever reason, like if we're going to keep him. Don't know what's going to happen with PJ Washington. Like we have, you know, some forwards. Uh, I, I just feel like Scoot was the much better decision. I don't know what the thinking on this is. Lamelo Ball cannot do everything. He has clearly shown it. Um, do we think Lamelo had any don't... any say in this decision? Huh? Do we think Lamelo had any say in this decision? I don't know because when. Brandon Miller did a little interview. He called LaMelo his guy. But, I mean, I feel like they all do that. You know, in, in a, you know, we all want to think people are our guys. So I don't know how much to, to play into that. But it would be a bad decision if he did because you need another scorer. We have some forwards um, that have been, ha, have been okay. Like, they've been pretty good. Like, I'm not happy with Miles Bridges' situation. I'm trying to keep that separate because if he's going to play, then, you know, might as well be here if he's going to do well. Um, but we don't have ones and twos. Like we have LaMelo. He, he, and he, I think, can be okay, but he does make some stupid decisions. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I just, yeah, I, I've got to see how this plays out um, because I'm just, <laughs> Every hey, year, Heather. Heather, for, first and foremost, get yeah. rid of the heat. Just heat culture is garbage. Don't listen to it. Don't buy into it. I beg no, you. You have to understand. Get rid of it, okay? I'm a, I listen. I know Cody and Caleb, so 
I have oh, to. Okay. All right. All right. It Fair is enough. what it is. Um, yeah, my, yeah. I'm friends with their mom. My kids grew up with them. So, but as Hornets as the hometown team, because I live in North Carolina, I have more love, you know, but, but they frustrate me to no end. Um, well, hang with us. Hang with us. Yeah, hey, look. I'm, I'm trying, but thank Richie. you guys for letting me speak. <laughs> yeah. No, Heather, thank you for coming on. Richie, I, I love this. First, this might be the first female uh, that, that's dialed in ever. It's true. Heather, we we got to, yeah. We, we you got to recruit that. more. Any other ladies, any other yeah. ladies that come through, I will do a Charlotte Hornet ladies faces with you all day, every it. day. Hit me up. We've got to do it because it has worked so well in Miami. I, and that's not even my home base, but I still love it. So absolutely anybody who wants to come through, hit me up. We will start one up. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. All right. I do have one more speaker request if you guys are okay with it. I know you guys are a little bit dejected. And, and Dylan, if you need to bounce at any time, just let us know. Uh, but Matt S., I know that he's joined us before. But go ahead, Matt S. Hey, guys. Um I'll echo everybody else's uh, sentiments. They're pretty disappointed. Uh, they didn't go with Scoot. Um, he he is the type of guy that I think would be even better than Lamelo. <laughs> um, and Lamelo, I mean, we're all seeing him as a future, you know, face of the franchise. But um, it, I think those guys could have worked together. But even if it didn't, you have, you know, a good asset. That you could get back alive. If it's not going to work, you, you give it some time. And if it's not going to work, you know, trade one of them. But uh, I don't know. When is Michael Jordan going to finally go the hell away <laughs> from having any control over this franchise? They're selling it, but yet they gave him control. Maybe this wasn't his pick on his own, but I just feel like this is his, like his parting shot. I'm going to screw up another draft for you guys. Goodbye. Yeah, we, we were talking about this is really his last dance. So uh, they may they may put out another documentary about this one, Brian. <laughs> but this is what this is what I was saying to to you guys before the the recording started, and just to sort of like bounce off of what the first speaker said is like this has been built as a as a big time draft for a long time, mostly because of Wemby, but also because of Scoot Henderson, and then Brandon Miller, you know probably benefiting some as like the the top college prospect in the country. Like he played himself up into the, this the, being a top two to three prospect in this draft. But, um, and some of this stuff is, is all is based off projections. So like, we don't know how exactly it's going to play out, but the next two draft cycles are not projected to be nearly as, as strong as, as this one. So it's like, if, even if the Hornets, land themselves into with a top three pick again next season, which I don't, I don't think they will, but if they did, it's probably not going to come with them having the ability to draft someone that could alter the, the franchise and, and sort of alter the offensive trajectory of them like Scoot Henderson. So like whomever made this decision tonight, if it, if it doesn't go well, it's gonna, it's gonna have like, it's gonna hurt them for a while, right? Like, it, it, there's a chance that it's not just like a, uh, even like a 12 month sort of like bump. It, it could, it could really hurt for a long period. That's sort of like independent of, um, you know, whether Scoot is goes on to become like an all star at, at Portland, but like it or wherever he ends up. But just something to consider. Like, they they may not have another crack at the machine like this uh for some time which is sort of why there were 
I think a lot of eggs in in the basket tonight. Um, well, BG, I, if I can jump in for a second, you know, Ooh, I yeah. think that's why it's so interesting, specifically with this pick, where this new ownership group really invests their time and their resources. If, if it's theoretical, if Brandon Miller goes wrong early. You know, I mean, this they could. You know, we just watched the Wizards, and I'll, albeit they had a long time All Star <laughs> that they should have traded three years ago. Yep, they yep, finally yep. traded it. And now it's a fire sale, but it, it is very. It, this is unique. You do not see an ownership change like this, where the owner going out the door controls the pick and almost seemingly holds it hostage, and then makes the pick with the new ownership group coming in, like this could, this could go a lot of different ways, boys. <laughs> yeah. It, I, it was, I will be yeah. very interested to watch how it plays out. Compare this to like the way Ishbia took over with the Suns, which was basically like, it felt like he was like pushing for a Durant trade. Like th- it felt like the, like the transfer of from Sarver to Ishbia, if I'm remembering that correctly, that that was like accelerated so Ishbia could kind of like get in there and be like, no, 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 like we'll we'll make this deal happen. And so yeah, it was yeah. different uh with yeah, with this ownership group, the old one that was, you know, make that was making the sale, sort of like staying on to oversee the draft. Um, and I guess also maybe the parts of the start of uh uh free agency um as well. So I wonder uh, I wonder how kind of different the tone of tonight would be if the Hornets got the third pick and the Blazers got the second pick. For sure. I think it would be way different. Yeah. I think yeah. I mean I think they would have I think they would have I think they would have ended up with the exact same player, by the way. But yes, I think the vibe would be the vibe would have like people probably would have been disappointed the night of the lottery that they didn't get one or two, but they would have ultimately come to grips with all right, we're gonna pick third. There would have probably would have been some debate between Amen Thompson and Miller, but Miller having like the the consensus behind him would have made him the preferred one, and they probably would have been pretty happy with that. Like ultimately, okay, okay, but hold on. All right, no, gr- great question, Dylan. I don't disagree with you, but I think what and I'm not saying you're not suggesting this, but opportunity cost is a huge thing. Is oh, a yeah, huge, sure. huge for thing, sure. and I think. That's really the point that I think Brian and I are, are trying to make and amongst others, like the opportunity cost and the tax you're going to pay on that. Anything can happen. It's going to be very, it's going to be great. So that would be the, the main difference between two and three. And, you know, that's kind of this draft, right? There were two transformational talents. And then the rest of the draft was, all right, here's small, you know, here's small start. Here's some, Tier two players here. Some guys are going to start for a really long time, and the draft always plays out five years later, different than you think draft night. So anything can happen, but opportunity cost is the main thing. Um, another pick that just came in uh, looks like there was a deal of sorts between the Pacers and the Wizards. Pacers going with uh, Jarris Walker with the number eight pick. I love that pick uh, for Indiana. I love what the Pacers have going on with. Matherin with Halliburton, um, Miles Turner now, and, and then Walker's adding awesome Jarrett Walk. Pardon? He said Walker's well, awesome. Well, oh, yeah. Walk. Yeah. He's a stud. Like, I, I mean, I think he's a top five type prospect that they got at eight. He fits them perfectly. The guy's built like a tank. He's got playmaking upside. 
Um, he's just built to be a like rotation player and contributor with some upside, but just like a rotation player and a contributor and a guy that absolutely plays on like postseason rosters for a, a decade. He's a stud. Um, and it like has some like small ball five, you know, potential uh, as well. And I kind of like him as like a short roll passer uh, if those opportunities do come around. But yeah, they've just got some good stuff going on uh, with the Pacers. Magic going Anthony Black at six is, uh, I don't think that's exactly where I would have gone with that pick, but I do like Anthony Black. I'm still like a little mixed on, like Dylan, do you think uh, Anthony Black is a, is a one on the next level? Like, do you think that's, do you think that's his, like he, he sir, like he's a primary initiator when he, once he gets to the NBA? I think that's probably what the hope would be behind drafting him. For right? sure. I think he's a good athlete. I think his first sure. step's really good. Um, pick and roll game is really good. I'm just concerned that he's not going to have the gravity that you want uh, from like the sixth overall pick. That's not like a center. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about his, his shooting projection, but I mean, it's a huge lineup in Orlando between yeah. him, <laughs> Franz, Paolo, Wendell Carter. Um, I think it's a bowl fun bowl. pick, and I yeah, yeah. Bowl, bowl too. And they, <laughs> they have another pick at eleven. But I think the the more shocking selection for me is I know the NBA was like he was like a huge riser um, throughout the process, but Kulabali going seventh yeah. overall, and and you know the the Wizards trading up for him. I mean, they, it's probably a good spot for him considering there's no real expectations for that team, uh, at least in the short term. But that feels like a not ideal value. No, I think that um, I think I think that's too just much too high, um, and I think there are, are better, reliably better prospects on the board. This was a pretty transcendent rise for Koulibaly, um within the especially within the last couple of weeks. Like he gained a lot yeah. of steam, and it. I think people thought like maybe OKC uh, was a team that would have targeted him, and but it seemed like certainly at some point someone gave him a promise. I guess it. Maybe it was Washington, or maybe they moved up so they could could they could try to get him. Uh, you know, whatever it was, that that one does surprise me. Um, yeah, I just think it's, a little it's bit. such like a it's a unique situation because yeah. of like the playoff series that was going on throughout the pre-draft process. I think it was against Osvell. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, it, like there, there. I haven't seen anything like that. I think the closest thing was like maybe Frank Nitalikina in like 2017. That he might have been a part of like a playoff team in France, but. I, to my knowledge, I haven't seen anything like a, a rise like that from like a prospect that was considered like borderline first round. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's he's a fun player for sure. I had him yeah. at like maybe 12 or 13 on my board, but I like I, him, it, it just it feels too early. Yeah, agreed. Agreed on that. Um, I like the Rockets getting a man Thompson. Um, this has been like a, a probably not a great offseason for Houston. We'll see what they do in free agency and how they build out this roster. But having that kind of like he is a special athlete, a really, really special athlete, a guy that could be a, a guy that creates offense for you with the basketball could be a, a real sharp defender. Um, I still thought I thought Thompson was on par, if not a little bit better of a prospect than than Miller. Um, so Houston's got a lot of pieces. I'll be curious to see like how they put it together. But man, building up around Jalen Green, Alperin Sangoon, Tari Eason. Uh, now, Amen Thompson. Uh, they've still got Ty Ty Washington, uh, Martin Jr. Like, there's just a lot of uh, interesting pieces there. I'm not surprised they went Thompson at at uh, 
at uh at four uh at all that that did not i think what would have been pretty fascinating would have been like i'll pose this to you guys if the hornets had gone scoot at two do you think portland would have gone let's just say they're using the pick and keeping it do you think they would have gone miller or would they have uh picked thompson at at three like my guess is they'd go miller but i think there's a chance that like thompson could have perhaps uh usurped him uh for that pick as well and then i guess houston would have gone miller but that's i'm probably wrong speculating that way yeah it sounded like a man had a great had a great chance to go yeah. number three yeah um yeah, yeah so, i think it like, was gonna be yeah. a real a real decision um and i wouldn't i'm not like the biggest a men fan like i i the, the jump shot i mean he's a phenomenal athlete and he's a phenomenal table ridiculous setter athlete. But ridiculous athlete ridiculous athlete and and great table table setter at his size and you know his length and his vision but where that jump shot really um really scares me but here here's the question i have right now as we sit in the draft is somebody going to trade up for cam whitmore or is this like there's some serious medical issues going on here yeah that came i mean he missed basically half the season for for villanova this is a guy like one of the youngest, uh, you know, lotto prospects. A guy I really like Whitmore a lot. Like he's built. I mean, he's his physical profile is like Br- Bridges esque. You know, like six, yeah. six, six, seven, strong, incredibly explosive athlete, big time first step, can play above the rim and a bunch on both sides of the court. Um, had some like pretty fun flashes. I wouldn't say he's like a weak side rim protector, but had some pretty fun flashes like protecting the rim. Um, he had a, a monster block on <laughs> two monster blocks on Manny Bates during one of the uh, the Butler games this season. But yeah, this is interesting with Whitmore for him to still be uh, hanging around. Like that's a guy that I mean, Magic fans would be I think doing backflips if he fell to eleven because I think I knew some Orlando fans that were interested in him at six. Like if he actually slid yeah. to eleven. Uh, that's a that would be uh value wise I, I get that the medicals could be concerning but that would be a, a pretty nice pickup but we've still got you know obviously yeah. a few more slots to go before that would actually come to fruition but just it must be so much fun to be a magic fan like this rebuild didn't even take that long and like just looking at the collection of talent they have um well they Paolo, didn't waste time Rons, trading off the yeah guys they needed to uh-huh they they made I mean they made a great they made at least one great trade, uh the Vucevic, Vucevic for trade. Carter trade yeah. plus they get yeah. this pick I mean just a heist on their part, oh um they they luck up they win the lottery last year they get Paolo they nailed the Franz pick the year before you know we'll yeah. see with Suggs and Cole Anthony Anthony Black, uh Markel Fultz like they've got all these like it just in, it's incredible how much young you know lottery type talent they've got on this roster plus like at least two cornerstones already with Ben Caro and, uh, and Franz that are going to be there for a long time. You know, quickly before you jump in here, Richie, but you know, Orlando's they're not at the Memphis fork in the road, but they're approaching it. Like I, I do think this team might turn the corner next season. And to Brian's point, they're going to run into that situation where they're going to have to start trading away guys because they're going to have so many, solid players who have shown promise and gotten to the rotation and are coming up on rookie extensions that it's just like we can't pay all these guys. We gotta trade them. And that's what that is those are exactly the harvest lands that contenders are looking for. 
you know, is those teams that do it the right way. They run to a situation where they have so many players that are promising and have shown promise and are due up for more money, but small market can't pay them. All right. I know we're kind of up against an hour here and Dylan has been so gracious with his time. I want to, I want to wrap by talking about potentially a player that could drop to 27. I know that the Hornets have four more picks, I've been talking about how they need to consolidate, 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 whether that means taking the 27 and 34 and packaging those to move up or doing something similar to what Indiana and Denver did, where you take two picks and you trade it for a future first uh, just to kind of get off the five picks. I just don't think that you can roster five picks. I understand that the new CBA allows for three two-way players, but five, five to me is just too much. So, I'm going to throw out a name and then I'll pass it to you, Dylan. And Dylan, you can even go GG Jackson if you want to talk about your uh, South Carolina player there or anyone else. Now, I don't. Do you guys know if Bryce Sensabaugh was invited to the green room? I feel like he wasn't. I don't think he was. No, crazy, surprising, surprising. I, he's uh, closer I, to a lottery talent in my mind uh, than he is like a, a, a the number thirty two yes, pick in the yes, draft or whatever. Yes. I don't think he's going to make it's a medical it. issue right now. Yeah. I don't think he's going to make it to 27, but uh, that's a guy that I wonder why he was not included in the green room. Uh, he's a guy that has tons of catch and shoot efficiency from behind the arc. He's a very smooth player, physically very strong. He allows him to get to his spots in the mid range. He can fight through contact. He's a guy that wants the ball in his hands in big time situations. And um, yeah, he's such a big time shot creator. So if that guy started creeping closer to 27 and the Hornets had a chance to package two picks to trade up that would be a guy that i would definitely target and i've talked about marcus nasser before but uh i won't rehash that but but uh dylan go ahead and give me somebody kind of in that range yeah so there's there's really three guys that i've kind of been looking at in that range and i'm kind of of the mindset that it we're probably better off trading this draft pick i think that um, you know, as things stand currently, it would be hard to trade a first round pick. And I don't think they can trade one of their picks until like 2026, if I'm not mistaken, due to like the, the Stepien rule based on the Kai Jones trade. Um, if I, I, I'm mm. not too sure about that, but I think that's how it goes. Um, but I, I tend to like, you know, in the, the later first round, I think usually the guys that are underrated are like the, the college production type of players, like a, a Jalen Brunson a few years ago. Um, I, I tend to kind of like Trace Jackson Davis as maybe like an energy big who can play some defense. He brings a lot of athleticism. I like Chris Murray as maybe a rotational forward who you know can score inside. He's obviously not going to be as good as his brother has been uh, in Sacramento, but I think he's sort of a guy that I, I tend to gravitate, gravitate to um, in the late first round. And I'll also throw out Julian Strother. I think he's sort of a guy, you know, a movement shooter, somebody that you can throw out, um, you know, on the wing who can maybe play right away, probably won't for the Hornets. But I think that his role is just so easy and projectable. Those are all those are all great, all great selections. Um, I like Strother. He feels his size, pretty good rebounder on the wing. Um, hey, BG. Yeah. Sorry. You mind if I go real quick? Because I yeah, got yeah, yeah. to run and then I'm going to throw it straight to you. Um, just a few here, and I don't know how you pronounce his first name, uh, Olivier Maxence or, or Oliver Maxence Prosper. Uh, love him. If he's there, absolutely love him at 27. Um, 
The other guy that I would throw out, and maybe this is a little too soon, but I this is my draft crush this year. Um, Trace Jackson Davis. I, I just I know he's gonna outkick his coverage in the NBA. He he's gonna come in, he's gonna be playing important minutes, probably for a contender next season. He's an absolute bulldog. I think he's the perfect small ball five for a lot of teams. He's a good passer. You can play him out of the high post. He's a good rebounder. He's a good finisher. He's ex- he's an explosive athlete. No, he's not a shooter, but like he he's he is the the very out of the box small ball five that can't shoot the three, but brings everything else that the the small ball fives that can shoot the three can't do. You know, like I, I just see TGD being an immediate impact player in the NBA, and I know he's not like an immediate need for the Hornets especially if they bring back P.J. Washington and they've got Nick Richards and they've got Mark Williams on the roster. But this is just a guy I want in my system. Like, it, I would not be upset if the Hornets took him at 27. I love this guy. And he's older. He's one of the oldest guys in the draft, too. I should qualify that. He's he's older than 23. But I'm just so sure he's going to be a good NBA player that I greenlight it. He does right, so much like he's he's a great he's a good athlete. He plays hard. He does so much like traditional like big guy stuff well. Um, I think he has really good hands. I like him in the pick and roll. The passing, I'll be curious to see how much some of it translates. Like a lot of it was like very like deliberate, isolated, static, like flat post ups. Um, but but he can do other sort of like connective passing and play in pockets of space. Um, I like the Murray and Strother sort of like tall movement shooter picks. Um, I kind of, I'm a little intrigued by like the, the, the big wing creator connector types, Andre Jackson from UConn is a great cutter, Ricky council or, or Jaime Jaquez who's played really well, uh, this past week. Um, maybe someone like Leonard Miller from the G league ignite. Um, I'm not totally sure what his position is, but sort of like a big wing advantage creator. Maybe he's there at 27. That's interesting. Uh, Noah Clowney. As like a four and a half that can give you some stretch and some scheme versatility defensively. And I even think like I don't really love the fit just based off of like the way Charlotte's roster is constituted currently. But I think like Gigi Jackson or Tequavion Smith is like upside creation bets at 27. It's probably not like the 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 best pick, but I would be interested in either of two, those two guys sort of getting another person who can, who can play on the ball and make, and like make shots for themselves too. But there's a lot, there's just, there's, it's tough to predict because there's too many ways for this to go. Yeah. Brandon Pajemski and Marcus Sasser would be two other names that I would probably throw out as well. Yeah. Not sure if Pajemski will make it, but yeah, he's another guy that we've talked about a lot on this pod, but we appreciate everyone tuning in on YouTube, on Twitch, on Facebook, on Twitter spaces. Uh, we appreciate Dylan for joining us today on the podcast. You can find him on Twitter at DJ.png. That's D-O-T-P-N-G. Uh, he brings a lot of coverage with college basketball, but Hornets as well. No one did get the trivia question. The highest Crimson Tide player drafted uh, actually is now tied with Brandon Miller. Same. Is it Robert Ori or Spreewell? Oh, or Ori was a good guess. Uh, it was yeah. actually Antonio McDice. Oh, Tony okay. Cool. So he cool. was drafted by the Clippers, but traded uh, immediately to the Nuggets. So thanks again for everyone for joining us. We will talk to you guys later. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.